This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Oh, that's cute. I need to stop shopping for furniture. Okay. <clears throat> Hi. Well, hello. Hello. Uh, here we are in the midst of the apocalypse. It's not. Stop singing. <laughs> Well, it's the ant apocalypse now. It's <laughs> here, here at our house. Uh, here, it's uh, it's late April here in Bangor, Maine. It's, the, it's late April everywhere. It, yes, well, yeah, that's that's true. I didn't think about it that way. At least in this timeline, sure. Okay, uh, in in uh, in this great state of Maine, we call it mud season, mm. and along with mud season comes ant season, mm. and it seems to be particularly bad. The last couple of days, we have been invaded with ants, overrun with ants, and you and I have a very different approach to this issue. I kill them. You employ a capture and release program. Yes, that's correct. I have a highball glass that I use in coordination with a greeting card that was sent to us last year uh, to snatch up and then dump outside. But what keeps the ants from coming right back in? Doesn't this seem like an exercise in futility? No, I I explained to them why I was putting them outside. And (laughs) I I mean, it happens every time. Like, you can't be in here. Uh, Give them a stern talking to. And yeah, yeah, I just um, step on them. That's not that's not nice. Do you at least explain to them why you're killing them? <laughs> I don't th- I feel as though they don't deserve it. They've entered my territory. Yeah, but part of it is you just step on them and then you just leave their ant corpses all over the house, yeah. which you'd think would be a warning. It is. I'm know, trying to send a message. It doesn't work. It's like the mob. It's you know you're sending a message to me like I need you to sweep again is what you're <laughs> is all you're saying. Just leaving a message. Kind of like John Wick. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you see this? This is what's going to happen to you. Yeah, don't come in here. So, you go first. The Flannan Isles are a small cluster of islands that are situated about 65 miles to the northwest of Scotland and are part of a vast number of islands that make up the western isles of Scottish territory. 
According to Historical Blindness Blog, it's named after St. Flannan, a 6th century Celtic monk who, according to legend, had miraculously floated to Rome on a rock to be consecrated. He was known to pronounce curses on robber barons, and <laughs> on account of a prophecy that he might become a monarch, he asked God to miraculously disfigure his face to avoid kingship, which I didn't know being ugly wow. meant you couldn't be king, hmm. but God obliged and <laughs> disfigured him. Okay. And how did that happen? Supposedly. I do not know. Really? Was it the pox? Uh, not sure, but... Let me just reiterate that your appearance does not determine your value um, and whether or not you can be king or queen or a flight attendant, whatever you want. Sure. You do you, boo. So St. Flannan built a chapel on an island. And for centuries, shepherds used to bring over their sheep to the island to graze, but they wouldn't stay the night, fearful that spirits were believed to haunt the site. According to Paranormal Guide, so I had to look up how to pronounce this because uh, to me it looks like Eileen, uh -huh. and uh, <laughs> immediately I launch into like, come, come on, Eileen. Um, but it's not Eileen Moore, it's Aileen Moore. Aileen. And for centuries, this island has had an eerie reputation. There were tales of a group of little people who resided there, Ooh. said to possess strange magical powers. It was also said to be the home of giant birds, and <coughs> islanders would travel to Aelin Moor, were said to use strange dialect to communicate with the beings living there and obeyed laws and rules in their dealings with them. According to folklore recorded in the 17th century by Martin Martin, there were strange traditions followed by those who visited uh, this particular set of islands. They would go there to gather eggs and down from the nests of seabirds, but it was believed that they had to arrive at an easterly wind in order to approach the island because a westerly wind was a bad omen. And upon passing the ruins of St. Flannan's Chapel, they stripped to the waist, placed their upper clothes on an altar, and then prayed three times. And while they were birding on the island, they thought that they had to avoid using certain common words, relying instead on synonyms or alternate nouns. <laughs> so it, it's kind of like their version of holding their breath when they went by the graveyard. Yeah. And also that game that you play where it's like, don't say any words with the letter E in it. Yeah, and then right. if you do, you drink. You step on a crack, you break your mother's back. That too. The island's only permanent residents were sheep, and the herders referred to it as the other country, believing it to be a place touched by something mm. paranormal. I see. So only the ruins of this chapel and a few derelict homes were on the island. And many ships and vessels had gone missing or wrecked on and around these islands, because there was no lighthouse. So, in 1896, a lighthouse was starting to be built on the island, and three years later, the Flannan Lighthouse began flashing out at sea in 1899. So here we go. It's December 1900, and a boat called Hesperus has set sail for the island off Aelin Moor. 
Captain James Harvey was tasked with delivering a relief lighthouse keeper as part of the regular rotation. So the men who regularly resided and worked on the island all undertook two-week shifts, and it was their job to maintain the lighthouse, polish the lenses, and maintain the living quarters. There was no radio communication to nearby islands, so Thomas Marshall, James Ducat, and Donald MacArthur were three men on this shift in late December 1900. The journey of the Hesperus was delayed a few days, and when Harvey and his crew finally arrived, it was Boxing Day, December 26th, and it was clear that something was not right. Why do we have a Boxing Day, but we don't have a Wrestling Day? I think every day is Wrestling Day. True. All hail Big Show Mm -hmm. or Triple H, you know, whatever floats your boat. (laughs) None of the normal preparations had been made for this boat that was coming to this island. The landing dock hadn't been set up the way it needed to be. I don't know anything about boating, by the way. Landy dock? The the landing dock. Oh, okay. The floaty platform boat having The flagstaff was bare, and none of the keepers came to greet the boat, which is what happened. So the captain blew his horn and he set up a warning flare to attract attention, but there was no response. Joseph Moore, who was the relief lighthouse watchman, rowed ashore and found that the entrance to the main compound of the lighthouse was unlocked. It was closed, but it was unlocked. And so he went in and didn't find any of the keepers. He made his way to the kitchen and found that the kitchen table had plates of meat, potatoes, and pickles uneaten. Mm. The clock in the kitchen was stopped, and there was an overturned chair. Now, was the food still warm, or had it been there for a while? It had been there for a while. Okay. The only sign of life was a half-starved canary in the kitchen. They noticed that two of the three oilskin coats belonging to the lighthouse keepers were gone. One remained. And there's there was a rule. There are three lighthouse keepers, but one of them needed to be manning the post at all times. It forbade all three to leave mm. that space at the same time. So Moore returned to the boat with his report, and Harvey had the island searched, and the hunt came up empty. Wow. The captain then sent a telegram to the mainland. Now, this is from Mental Floss. A dreadful accident has happened at Flannan's. The three keepers, Ducat, Marshall, and the Occasional, have disappeared from the island. On our arrival this afternoon, no sign of life was to be seen. Fired a rocket, as no response was made, managed to land Moore, who went up to the station but found no keepers there. The clocks were stopped, and other signs indicated that the accident must have happened about a week ago. Poor fellows, they must have been blown over the cliffs or drowned trying to secure a crane or something like that. Hmm. Night coming on, we would not wait to make something as to their fate. I have left Moore, McDonald, Bowie Master, and two seamen on the island to keep the light burning until after other arrangements. And then he goes on to talk about how he can be contacted and he'll reach out to another shore master in case he doesn't get this message, blah, blah, blah. So the light from the lighthouse usually flashed twice every 30 seconds. And on the night of December 15th, a passing American steamer headed to Edinburgh noticed that the light was not flashing. So they arrived to port three days later and reported that there was no light flashing on the 15th. Okay. But the public authority 
the lighthouse board, they're responsible for the lighthouses and the islands and stuff. For some reason, hmm. they didn't acknowledge that something may be awry. There's also a man responsible for watching the light from the mainland, and he failed to report any disruption from the lighthouse. So this was a total shit show. It was a total shit show. Looking at the lighthouse logbook did provide some new details. On December 12, an entry from Marshall described severe winds, the likes of which I have never seen before in 20 years. He wrote that Ducat had been quiet and MacArthur had been crying. Uh, all three of these men are experienced lighthouse keepers. They're hardened seamen. Exactly. Which is crusty and hard to get off. Yes. Um, but <laughs> gross. I'm sorry. Please delete that. No. <laughs> so it doesn't make a lot of sense that one would be crying and one would be. No. It, it's, it's odd behavior, basically, for tough, experienced, seafaring men. I wonder how long they had been on the island at this point. They have two week shifts. So, OK, so less than two weeks. Yes. Okay, so it's not like they're not becoming stir crazy or suffering from some sort of uh, deprivation. The shining syndrome. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going for. <laughs> you wouldn't think so. Mm. Of course, the the boat coming to relieve them was late, but they had already been missing for a week at that point. Right. So. Mm. It would have kind of evened out to about two weeks, like it seems to me. The next day, Marshall reported more storm details and wrote that all three of them had been praying, which, again, these keepers are in a brand new lighthouse. It's a safe, secure location. They've all done this for some time. It seems like a strange behavior. An investigation outside the lighthouse provided a little insight. Over the western landing platform, there was damage from recent storms reaching as high as 200 feet above sea level. Ropes that were usually affixed to a crate on the supply crane were just littered about, and the, the box that they were supposed to be contained in was missing. So it was concluded that the three men had left the lighthouse together, disregarding rules stating that three were never to be outside in a group, possibly to secure the missing box that had been threatened by the bad weather that they were reporting, hmm. and that maybe while they were working, there was a freak wave that uh, swept them into the sea. But this is a very strange set of circumstances that lead a lot of people to debate whether or not this is actually plausible. One, why would one of them not be wearing a coat? Right, yeah. Why did all three of them leave at the same time? And maybe most importantly, why were there no reported storms in that area during that time frame? So they were saying winds like we've never seen before. I'm sure there were storm gales and rogue waves and, and, and things of this nature, but Nobody else saw it? That's right. December 12th, 13th, and 14th should have all been calm weather. Oh, my God. The last report from the book, dated December 15th, read, Storm ended. Sea calm. God is over all. That was the last entry. Yeah. Okay, so that kind of um, blows the whole, they got swept into the sea theory. I was going to say out of the water, <laughs> but into the water. Um, hmm. 
I'm thinking it's a multi-dimensional kind of thing. Oh, you think yeah. so? I'm Man, th- you've been going there a lot lately. Yeah, though. well, I've been reading a little bit about it, and uh, it seems incredibly uh, possible it's to me. It's interesting that the thing that you find interest in at it's this true. period of yeah. time is the thing that yeah. seems to come to light yeah. uh, most often. Uh-huh. It happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, there are. it is said that there are certain energy fields and uh, magnetic fields that are stronger in um, certain parts of the world. And interestingly enough, oftentimes there are monoliths there like Stonehenge or Mm -hmm. the Great Pyramids. And these are areas that are hypothesized to be maybe a thinner membrane between our reality and other realities. A la fringe. Yes. Very fringe-ish. Again, we have to watch that again. I know. You know, what's so weird is you and I were watching Twin Peaks uh, because I'd never seen it before. Right, right. And I reached out to my friend Keegan, a uh, smart, beautiful treasure of a person. Yeah, she gave us her ping pong table. And she uh, said that she was watching Twin Peaks. And I was like, oh, that's weird because I thought she had already watched it. And she was like, no, I haven't watched it all the way through. And then we talked about on the show how we wanted to watch Fringe. And she sent me a message and she's like, holy shit, I just started Fringe. <laughs> yeah. So apparently we're right on the same yeah. wave Well, I right think now. I think all of the freaks who listen to this podcast at one level or another are on the same wave. Speaking of wave, one of the questions that came out of this whole incident was why were the bodies not washed ashore? If they had been sure. swept into the sea, it is usually the case in this area, in these waters, that if someone gets pulled into the sea, their bodies will wash ashore. Because of the current and tides. That's right. They don't just go out and never come back. Its bodies end up washing up, just like the feet of the Northwest. And that led some people to the thought of maybe a sea monster, maybe some sort of giant squid or... Oh, that's stupid. In Scotland... The idea of a sea monster? Well, no, I'm not saying that it's it's stupid for people in Scotland to have those folklore beliefs. Mm-hmm. I, I get that. I'm just saying it's far more probable that it was a thin membrane leading into a different reality. Oh, I see what you're saying. It's the multiple universe theory. You're just sure of it. <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> so in the years following, other lighthouse keepers claimed to hear the voices in the salty air ah, in screaming the, out. In the briny breeze. Because they, they're trying to get back through that membrane oh, yeah. into this this their original timeline. That's that's what yeah. that is. Yeah. 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 Anyway, that is the uh, mystery of the Alien Moore lighthouse. Still unresolved. Still unresolved. And now, that thing in the middle. These are common gestures that mean entirely different things in different parts of the world. Number five, the okay sign. You know, when you make the zero with your index finger and your thumb, say, hey, everything's okay. In Brazil and other Latin American countries, it means, fuck you. Yeah, you want to be careful with that. Richard Nixon, when he was vice president, landed in Brazil in the 50s and made that sign with both hands. And the reactions uh, from the crowd was pretty much what you would expect. (laughs) It's like he got off the plane and just gave them the finger. (laughs) Number four, uh, the devil horns. If you've ever been to a rock show, you've likely seen the uh, devil horns with the index and little finger up. uh, The other fingers all down. It pretty much uh, across the board means metal, right? 
no. <laughs> in Italy, it basically means your wife's a whore. That's <laughs> terrible. Wow. I love rock and roll music. Also. Your wife's a whore. <laughs> the three-fingered salute, like like in the Hunger Games, you know, or like when you became like a, a Boy Scout, you know. And, or, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. In Thailand... In Thailand, three-finger salute is outlawed. Oh. I guess uh, there were a lot of people that had taken to the three-fingered salute as a uh, protest of military rule, which pissed the government off enough to make it illegal. So if you go to Thailand and you want to be arrested, just, uh, you know, do the uh, Hunger Games salute. Wow. Yeah, you're going to jail. That escalated quickly. Number two, patting someone on the head. So generally, I think of this as being like a kid thing. You pat them on the head, well done, or you sure. know, off with you. It's kind of a, a gesture of um, endearment. Right. Though in Asia, uh, there are places where it's considered extremely rude to touch the head at all, let alone outright pat it. The is head it, is... Is it like looked at as being condescending? It is it just strictly off limits without proper consent. It's, it's okay. a more intimate okay. thing than... So it's like grabbing their ass. I sure it's just just don't do it. Yeah. And number one, there are language barriers, of course, around the world. But one thing is universal. We can communicate universally by nodding your head yes and shaking your head for no. It's universally understood, except in the Balkans, mm. in countries like Albania or uh, Bulgaria, the shake is used to say yes. And the nod to me, no. That's an interesting thing. I've heard before, but I still can't work it through in my head. Is nodding being yes so ingrained in me because I've always known it that way? Or does it does it feel natural? Because it feels natural to me. And maybe it's just because I've always known it that way. But I can usually separate myself from things I've always known <laughs> enough to go like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess I can see how. But in this case, I cannot see how nodding your head means no. I can't make it work in my brain that that makes any sense at all. Well, my theory is that uh, the Balkans, there's a thin membrane between <laughs> the box of oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities 
at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com oddities. That's greenlight.com oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com oddities. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Made with space-age polymers that leave no aftertaste. This is The Box of Oddities. This comes from Trevor. Just listened to episode 10 of your podcast and wanted to share after hearing your story of uh, your mother and her sticky note. It was kind of a weird beyond the grave experience for me. Um, About a week after my grandfather died, I had a dream about him. In his old age, he developed Alzheimer's or dementia and would rarely recognize us, the family, when we would visit him at my aunt's home. In my dream, I was in the room that he passed away in and I was looking at a photograph that is a real picture in my room of our whole family during Christmas. In my dream, my grandpa shows up and he points at the picture and he says, that's my family and my grandson, Trevor. And I responded, Yeah, I know it is. He looks at me with the biggest grin and says, Nah, I'm just fucking with you. I know who you are. (laughs) And then he starts cracking up, and I woke up laughing with him. Thanks for sharing your story with me. I teared up remembering this. That's a great story, Trevor. I love it. That's fantastic. That's the wrong button. The box of oddities. It's that one. What you got for me? What, what you, what, what you, what you got yeah. for me? You're messing with my buttons. What that. do you have for me? That's <laughs> what, what I was saying. <laughs> All right, here's what I have for you. On the night of August 15th, 
2016, Martin County Sheriff's Office deputies, now this is in Florida, used a taser and a police dog to try to subdue Austin Haroff when they found him at a crime scene covered in blood. And even though they used a taser and a police dog, it took several tries to apprehend him. Deputies said on the way to the hospital, Haroff had told the deputies that he, quote, ate something bad. Was it someone's face? When he was asked what he ate, he said humans. It began earlier in the evening. Oh, Florida. 19-year-old college student, Haroff, was having dinner with his parents at Duffy's Sports Grill. That's a restaurant in Jupiter, Florida. Reports state that the service at their particular restaurant was a bit slow that night, and the longer that they waited, the more agitated Austin became. Witnesses said that uh, he became so upset that he stormed out of the restaurant and left on foot. Hanger. I've been there. <laughs> yes. Now, it was a warm night, and in a nearby neighborhood, Michelle Mission sat in in her garage with the door open, enjoying the quiet evening, just hanging out, watching the neighbors go by. I used to do that all the time when I lived in Florida. I think that that's a popular thing to do. You just sit in the garage with the door open, have a cocktail, and just talk to people when they're walking by. Her partner, John Stevens, was... <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, <laughs> I just pictured, like, is that something I would enjoy? I don't know. And then I thought about, like, how I would enjoy it. And yes, I would ha be in the garage with a cocktail. And, uh, and then when neighbors would walk by, if they acknowledged me in any way, just close the garage door with a clicker. <laughs> just slowly. <laughs> so Michelle's partner, John Stevens, at this point, was just returning from walking the dog. At this point, Austin wandered into their neighborhood and down their street, southeast Kokomo Lane, which is just north of the Palm Beach uh, County border. He quietly walked up to the garage without any provocation, or indication that anything was wrong, he took out a switchblade and he stabbed them um, and beat them to death. What? Yeah. This is awful. A neighbor witnessed the attack, called 911, and then tried to intervene, and he was stabbed no. as well. Oh he, he survived. Okay. He survived. I'm assuming the dog's fine, um, but Michelle and John, dead. When the police arrived, they found... Austin naked, ripping away chunks of the couple's flesh and eating it. He was growling and grunting and making animal noises. Repeated use of the stun guns and a police dog could not sway him. And uh, finally, three officers had to pull the man off the bodies by force. Oh my gosh. Was he on drugs? Well, that was the, one of the first things everybody thought, of course. When you consider that... Uh, Austin, before the bizarre crime, was a model student, seemed to have everything pretty much figured out. Mm -hmm. In fact, earlier that evening, he was hanging out with some of his uh, frat brothers just before joining his parents for dinner. Everything seemed normal. There was no indication that evening that anything was wrong, according to the people that he was hanging out just before this attack. Except so, for the hanger. Except for the hanger. The first thing everybody thought of, like you did, was drugs. But his toxicology report came back clean. Um. So, so they did a second toxicology panel. In fact, it was done by the FBI because they wanted to test for synthetic drugs that were still just pretty new, like bath salts. Bath salts. And, I was going to say, right around that time, you were hearing a lot of that yeah. kind of story, unfortunately. The results came back negative. There were no 
synthetic drugs or designer drugs in his system, there was only a small trace of marijuana. Yeah, that's not no. That's not weed behavior. No, no. So they took him to St. Mary's Medical Center in West Palm Beach. He was there for several weeks. He was charged with two counts of first-degree murder in their deaths. Also charged with the attempted murder of Jeff Fisher. That was the neighbor mm-hmm. that tried to intervene. So what the hell was this all about? I'm confused, but also uh, I think that it needs to be said that neighbor trying to intervene and help his neighbors is sadly something that needs to be acknowledged and commended because so often we just turn our heads to things happening to other people or we assume that somebody else is going to deal with it or that it's not your business. And Jeff launched right over there, put put his own life at risk and and did a thing. It's like Mr. Rogers says, in times of disaster, look for the helpers. Yeah. So what what the hell is this all about? Like for real, what the hell? At the time, and you might remember this, initially they were saying, yeah, it's probably bath salts. And they compared this attack to like a zombie attack. Right, yeah. Because he was like on top of these people he killed and he was eating their faces. Well, it obviously wasn't a zombie attack, but it may have been a little bit closer to a werewolf attack. Let me explain. Yes, please. In a 38-page mental health report released by the Martin County State Attorney's Office at the end of March of this year, 2020, Dr. Philip Resnick said, Haroff believed he wasn't human when he was found biting, you know, this guy's face off on the 15th of August, 2016. He believed he was, quote, half dog, half man that August night. Yeah, he thought he was half dog, half man. Did he express this to the tasing officers or was he used? I mean, because you said he was like just growling. No, he he was not responsive. Until they got him in the cruiser and they were taking him and he said he ate something bad. Got it. He ate humans. Okay. So I did a little research thinking how cool would it have been if uh, on August 15th it was a full moon. So I, I went back and I checked, and it wasn't. Um, the also, mo- still not cool. People died. Well, that's that's true. That's true. But it would have been cool if it proved that werewolves were real, and I was the one who discovered it. The moon was waxing gibbous. Oh, jeez. However, it would be full on the 18th, three days later. According to some werewolf folklore, the full moon is when they are werewolves are the strongest, but can actually transform during the waxing phase which is three to six days around the new moon, three days on each side of the, uh-huh. of the new moon. So, uh-huh. Uh-huh. so technically it could be a werewolf, but probably not in this case. But I thought it would be cool if, if it was a full moon. And Again, not cool. People died. Yeah, well, yeah. According to theledger.com, Martin County Sheriff's deputies said they found Harriff on top of Stevens, biting his face and making the growling noises when they arrived at the home. Quote, the fact that Mr. Harriff persisted in biting the male victim in the presence of police officers, this is according to the uh, psychological exam, in spite of threats of being shot, being tased and receiving multiple kicks to the head suggests that Mr. Harriff was actively psychotic, Resnick wrote. He said, in his opinion, he thought the kid suffered from severe mental disease, in particular bipolar disorder in acute manic episodes with psychotic features. On the 15th of 2016, the day of the attack, Haruf had suffered from, quote, clinical lycanthropy delusions. Lycan. Yes. Clinical lycanthropy is the rare occurrence 
When an individual believes they are an animal other than a human, it's most often associated with a wolf. Mm -hmm. Those who have studied cases of the delusion say it's often connected to existing medical disorders like schizophrenia. Right. Um, in his report, Resnick said Harif had the delusion that he could run super fast because he was half man, half dog. He believed that other dogs' hair was attaching to his face. He also said he considered the possibility that Harif was faking his symptoms in an attempt to get out of the first, uh, the two first-degree murder charges, as well as the attempted murder charge, but concluded that he was not faking. He said journal entries, text messages, and several witnesses spoke, spoke to Harif's uh, grandiose delusions in the days preceding the attack. According to his uh, findings, after interviews with family and friends, as well as a review of all those records. I wonder if dinner at Duffy's was a way for his parents to like sit him down and go like, hey, yeah. kid, uh, what's up? Yeah, right. what's, what's going on? What's, what's going on? Yeah. Resnick said that in addition to the lycanthropy delusions, Harif also believed that there was an evil force or demon attempting to kill him. In the days leading up to the attack, family members reported that he was acting a bit strangely, saying he was invincible, that he had superpowers, he believed he was getting more powerful all the time, he was feeling like Jesus. Um, so yeah, maybe it was, uh, yeah, the dinner at Duffy's was a, an intervention of, of, of sorts. During his interview with Haraf, Resnick said that in the hours before the attack, Haraf, then 19, felt he had special powers like an animal who could run fast and jump high. He told Resnick he thought it was really cool to be half man, half dog, and felt connections to dogs around him. After family and friends noticed he was acting strangely, he said his father attempted to give him Xanax to calm him down, and he refused to take it. That evening, when he left the Duffy's Sports Grill in Jupiter, where he was eating with his family or was about to, he told Resnick he thought he saw a dark figure with a white face and believed it to be evil. He said he ran from the area and found this lighted garage to ask for help. In the garage was Michon. Resnick said that uh, the kid had a patchy memory of what happened in the garage, but said when Michon screamed, he thought she was a witch and he was afraid that he would be harmed. That's when he attacked her. He told Resnick that after he stabbed her, he drank a bottle of alcohol or something in the garage and then saw the guy in the doorway with a dog. Now, John Stevens was out walking the dog, thinking he was just coming home. And then, you know, he saw this person attacking his partner in the garage. I think I stabbed him, too, he told Resnick. Harif said he didn't remember much else other than the dog and a man screaming at him, he said he doesn't remember even biting Stevens or any interaction with sheriff's deputies at all. The next thing he remembered, he was waking up in a hospital at St. Mary's Medical Center in West Palm, where he ended up staying there for several weeks. This is so sad because, I mean, it's very common for a lot of psychological disorders to really manifest it that that time frame like late teens early mm -hmm. 20s it that's a very sure. tumultuous period of time and it's so often that time that people discover that they are having to work through these these mental issues and his just seemed to i, I mean it sounds as though from what you said that it came on so quickly yeah, it and it was too. really hard for anyone to have intervened. Yeah, it, it seemed like the red flags were just starting to go up. Right. It just seemed to have escalated so quickly. Yeah. And I think it's important at this point to point out that um, 
There is no study or indication anywhere that people with mental illness are more violent no. than people who do not suffer from those types of conditions. And so by telling the story, I don't want anybody to think that, um, you know, I'm saying that. I'm not. According to Wikipedia, a study on lycanthropy from uh, the McLean Hospital reported on a series of cases and proposed some diagnostic criteria by which it could be recognized. Uh, number one, a patient reports in a moment of lucidity or remembrance that they sometimes feel like an animal or have felt like one. Mm -hmm. Number two, a patient behaves in a manner that resembles animal behavior. For example, howling or growling or crawling around. According to these criteria, either a delusional belief in current or past transformations or behavior that suggests the person thinks of themselves as transformed is considered evidence of clinical lycanthropy. The authors note that although the condition seems to be an expression of psychosis, there's no specific diagnosis of mental or neurological illness associated with those consequences. So you can't say, well, you know, they suffer from bipolar and people who have who, who suffer with bipolar are more susceptible to this. There's just nothing that, that, that backs that up. Wow. It also seems that lycanthropy is not specific to human wolf transportation, although by far... Transformation? Oh, yeah. Though human wolf transportation would be cool. <laughs> not if you have allergies. <laughs> Human to wolf transformation, a wide variety of creatures have been reported as part of this shape-shifting experience. Well, we've talked very briefly about people who think they're cows. There have been documented cases of uh, people thinking they were a cat, a cow, a hyena, a bird, a tiger, frogs, even bees in some instances. In Japan, transformation into foxes and dogs was usual, and it seems to be some kind of a cultural link. Like in Japan, it's not wolves mm -hmm. as much as it is foxes, but they're all dogs, or, or the large percentage of them are, are canine in nature. Maybe something to do with your cultural stories, the, maybe, the history maybe. and meanings of you know certain animals yeah. in your culture. Yeah, I think that that probably has... A lot to do with it. A 1989 case study described how one individual reported a serial transformation, experiencing a change from human to dog to horse and then cat before returning back to the reality of human existence after being treated. Wow. There are also reports of people who have experienced transformation into an animal um, listed only as, quote, unspecified. There is a case study of a psychiatric patient who had both clinical lycanthropy and cotard delusion at the same time that uh, that's more commonly referred to as walking corpse syndrome that's right. we did an episode on that yeah. uh, a long time ago so they go from thinking that they're um, an animal to thinking that they're a human but they're dead and and they're just an animated corpse that's a shitty existence yeah it is anyway there you go that's what i got for you not a happy story but it's no. fascinating it is i mean the the human brain is amazing and the things that it can do both both creative and destructive yeah. is is incredible and the things that it can make you believe are are reality is is um it's really something I did want to say if you are uh, if you suspect that you are in crisis or if you think that someone else is in crisis, I know that texting is a lot easier than calling for a lot of people. I know I'm that way. Uh, you can text hello to seven four one seven four one. And what is that? That is the crisis text hotline. That's good to know. 
It's a scary thing, not knowing that you can trust your brain. No, I know. It, it must be. Well, on that cheery note, I think uh, we can uh, we can wrap things up here. And, uh, okay. yeah. Come here, Banch. <laughs> Puck snortles. Oh, here we go. That last one was my stomach growling. Let's go get some lunch. (laughs) As always, thanks for hanging out with us, you guys. We appreciate it. Banjo appreciates it. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Flying proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.